Well, we'll focus upon our stewardship commitment, and we've been talking a good bit around our budget about stewardship and about the issue of tithing and about giving. And the budget theme for this coming year is giving His will His way. Whenever we talk about stewardship, there's always a, a, a money in the life of the church, always a variety of reactions. Uh, this actually happened in a Sunday school class of boys. And the teacher asked each one of them to quote a Bible verse as they were giving their offering. And the first one put his money in the basket and said, The Lord loveth the cheerful giver. The second little boy put his money in the offering and says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. And the third boy rather reluctantly put his offering in the basket as it was passed and said, A fool and his money are soon parted. And there was a mother who on the way to church gave her little girl uh, a dollar bill and a quarter. And she said, honey, you can give either one you want to uh, as you're offering for today. So on their way home after church, she asked her, she said, "Um, which one did you give today? And the little girl said, well, I thought I would give the dollar. But the man behind the pulpit said that God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought I'd be a whole lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter and kept the dollar. And then I like the story about uh, these three tightwads who were notoriously known for uh, being just really chinchy, you know, just stingy. And uh, they were going to visit this church they'd never been to before. And they thought, well, to avoid the offering, they would come in and just hear the sermon, sing the hymn, and go home. They didn't know that in this particular church, the offering was taken up at the end of the worship hour. And so after the sermon and they sang and then it was time to take up the offering, they're trying to figure out what in the world they were going to do. So one of them fainted and the other two carried him out. Now if the truth will really be told, there are a lot of people who would rather that we not talk about money. We'd just rather ignore the whole subject in the, in the life of our church. It's hard thinking about money, especially in church. And it, it, it ought not to be because... The Bible has so much to say to us, so much teaching about money, how we should earn it, how we should save it, how we should manage it, and how we should give it all to the glory of God. All the way through the Old and the New Testament, there are teachings about our money and about possessions and about how if we use them rightly, we can be blessed and bless God and grow His kingdom, or how if we don't use them correctly, now we can bring about destruction on ourselves. We know we've got a nation that's, that's probably uh, floundering on the brink of millions and billions maybe of people uh, uh, bankruptcy. This economy in the last several years, more than we wanted ever imagined, has been terrible on us. But at the same time, there's just a lot of people will not listen to biblical money management principles. And as a result, they get themselves in all kinds of pro- problems about that. Now, whenever we come to usually a, a time of emphasizing about giving and money and stewardship, I hear usually three things I hear. All the church wants is my money. And that's not true. We preach a whole lot more than about giving your money. And if that's your attitude, I would suggest to you, you've got a sensitive spot. And you've got a sensitive spot about it because maybe you aren't faithful and obedient to what God wants you to do with your money. You know, I, I never hear anybody complain about Target or Walmart or the grocery store or the dry cleaners or the cell phone company or, or doctors or anybody complain about the fact that all they want is my money. And you know what? That's what they want. That's why they're in business. We're in business because we're the church. We're the people of God. 
And God's people need to know that God blesses them with resources and He expects us to manage it for Him and His glory. And one of those things that we do is we give back to Him. Then there are others that say, well, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable signing a, a, a stewardship commitment card. And yet, it's interesting in our culture. We sign all kinds of documents. I had a wedding ceremony last night before they were legally uh, married. Even though they exchanged their vows, they had to sign that marriage license. Now, if one of them, the groom or the bride said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to these vows, but I really don't want to, you know, take a stance and sign that license. Then they, they wouldn't be married, would they? We sign all kinds of things. You take out a loan on a house, you sign a paper that you're going to pay it back. You take out a loan on a car, you sign a paper, you're going to pay it back. You sign your check saying you're going to make that check good, right? So, we, we sign paperwork and we make commitments all the time. And the, other, the third one is, you know, what I do with my money is my business. And the church has no right telling me how to spend it or how much to give. And if that, you make that statement, it's obvious to me you, you haven't done a whole lot of reading and studying your Bible. Because first of all, the Bible tells us that God gives us everything that we have. He owns it all. And also the Bible tells us about money management principles. And it also tells us how much God expects us to give. That He tells us He wants us to give the 10%, that tithe. Now next Sunday, uh, we do hope that it's a successful day for prove the tithe. We're asking every family in the life of this church to, to give a tithe of your income, 10% of your income. And that will show to us the potential that is here to glorify God. It's not about money. It's about faith and it's about obedience. And then I want to give you a second challenge beside next Sunday proving the tithe. And I hope that everyone would give a tithe next week. But I want to give you another challenge. If you are not a tither, I want you to take the tithing challenge for the next six months. I want you to start giving 10% of your money to God and test Him like He says in the Scripture. In Malachi 3.10 He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. A reminder that the tithe means 10%. God wants you to give 10%. So I want you to take this challenge if you haven't been tithing and start tithing 10%. Try it for the next six months and put God to the test. He said put me to the test. Everywhere else he's talking about he tests us. But this is the one place he says you put me to the test. Tithe for six months and see if God doesn't bless you. Now, don't go looking for a brand new car to show up in the front of your house. Don't expect $100,000 to come into your bank account. You know, don't expect to find $50,000 beside the road that somebody lost, evidently, or an armored truck that has the back door open, you know. But God's going to bless you for being obedient and faithful. Amen. One of the things that will come as a result of that is that you will learn how to manage your money better. So that you can give to God first. I've heard people say, well, I would love to tithe and I would love to give to God. But by the time I pay everything, I don't have anything but leftovers. And that's the problem. That's all you're doing is giving God the leftovers and He wants first place. Give Him what's first. Okay? Let me give you two principles, I think, 
that have that have been guiding principles that you can understand. Many years ago, take you back generations, J.L. Kraft was head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, and he gave away every year about 25% uh, of his income. And uh, somebody asked him what was the the best investment that he could make. And he said, the only investments I ever made which have paid constant increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. Now, another name that in the past we always associated with great wealth was John D. Rockefeller. And he explained the principle about his life is this. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first, own the first million dollars I made if I had never tithed on my first salary, which was a dollar and fifty cents. You see, it doesn't matter what your income is, whether it's a dollar and a half or whether it's millions of dollars. God wants you to be faithful with the ten percent and prove that tithe through Him. You know, prove that tithe through Him. Uh, in this day and age, more and more people are going to electronic transfers for payment, online giving. Uh, setting up where there's automatic drafts out of your account. Some of the younger generation probably don't have a checkbook. You got everything by card or you do it by uh, electronic. So we have the opportunity for you to do that. And many people take advantage of it with online giving, uh, electronic transfer of funds. Uh, if you've got any questions about that, you can call the church office. We'll answer that for you. When you go to Proverbs chapter 3, you hear those familiar words about trusting the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Read on over and find verses 9 through 10 that say, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now since we don't operate on that agricultural currency level anymore, we operate on money. This is a capitalistic society, nothing wrong with that name. That's what we are as Americans, what's made America strong and great. But instead of saying maybe first fruits, maybe it's first check or first transfer or first electronic uh, transfer uh, of your funds, of your tithe. So you give that first to God and you can't be tempted not to do that. Now all of that leads us to say this. Those of us who have been tithing for years can testify to this fact. Not that tithing works, but that God is faithful, right? It's God who works through us for that. And it's God who wants us to give His way. And it's His will that we give. And that leads us to the one verse of Scripture for today, which is basically the text out of Luke 6, 38. Jesus is teaching and He says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now very quickly, I just want us to look at three principles out of here, or three reminders or promises that we can claim out of here that will allow us to accept the tithing challenge and to be givers the way God wills us to do and the way that God wants us to do. So we can have confidence in these days. First of all, our confidence is based upon the promise of Jesus. And that's found in Luke 6.38 that we just read. And that depicts a scene that was seen every day uh, in the marketplace in the time that Jesus taught this. Farmers would first come in, bring their harvest of their crops of grain, and they would haggle with the merchants until they settled on a price for that. Then the shoppers would come along and, and they would buy grain to take home. And that was, I had to do it every day. You know, it was, a, it was an everyday or, or at least every other day occurrence. 
And so they would argue about a price, dicker back and forth, and finally settle on it. And then the customer would put the pot or basket up and get the, the grain in it. And first, the, the merchant would pour the grain in until it filled the basket. Then he would press down on it so he could put some more in and he would fill it. Then he would take that and he would shake it so that it would settle and he could put more in it. And then he would finally fill it until it would overflow. The extra the merchant would wipe off the counter and put in the pocket of his robe because that's what his family would use to eat from. And that's the image that Jesus gave to us there of giving and it being pressed down and shaken together and overflowing in abundance. You see, how how can we trust that? It's based upon the words of Jesus. And what does it say about our giving? It says, when you give, God gives back to you. And God gives back to you in the same measure that you give to Him. If you're stingy, guess what? You're not going to get much back. You're not going to be blessed. If you're generous, you're going to be blessed generously. That's the principle that God uses. That's what the Bible teaches us over and over and over again. God's promise to us who are generous givers is that He will bless us. He will meet our needs. He will take care of generous givers. And so that's why He encourages us to be generous. You know, I think when we hear that we say, okay, you go first God and bless me. And, and, and then I will give. And, and that's not the faith step that's required, is it? We're supposed to go first to prove our faith in God and our trust in Him as to what He would do. That's what God says. Trust me. Give me what I ask for, and I, I, I promise that you'll never be disappointed. Now, here's the second thing. This promise that Jesus gave here in Luke 6.38 is based on the character of God. In fact, everything that Jesus taught in the Scriptures was based upon the character of God. When Jesus says it will be given to you, that promise is based upon the truth of who God is. He is a generous, loving Father who loves to give good gifts to His children. It's His nature to give to us. And He is always willing and does give more to us than we deserve. Now, in a few weeks we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving or here sooner than that. This calendar in November and December has me really all mixed up. Uh, it seems like we got a shorter period of time to prepare for Thanksgiving. It's coming earlier and then Christmas is coming kind of late, seems like to me. But uh, during this Thanksgiving season, think about the opening words of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. If you go on and read that verse, David lists a lot of things that he is thankful for, grateful for that God has done for him. Well, you take that verse and that, and that thought, that mindset, and you give thanks to God for all that He's given to you. And if you would truly be mindful of all the blessings that God has given to you, you'd literally have to search the Bible from beginning to end and find all the things in there that God has given to us. But the greatest thing you will find is the gift of Jesus Christ in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, that's the proof of God's generosity. Amen. We weren't deserving of salvation. We were lost in our sin. And God gave to us. He gave His only Son. And Jesus gave it all when He went to the cross for our sins. And so, 
We need to be reminded of the fact that we cannot outgive God. We need to be reminded of the fact that He challenges us to trust His Word. And we need to be reminded that He challenges us to live by faith in His generosity to us. Now, you see, when you go back and look at that phrase that we say, God, you go first and bless me, and then I'll follow. God says back, I've already gone first. I've given you everything that you have. I've blessed you abundantly. And I've given you my son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. That's how we know that this promise is true. That if we give, God will bless us for that. Now, the third thing to notice is this. The goodness of God. That's the truth behind his promise. Now, here's how the goodness of God is connected to our giving. He blesses generous givers generously. And generous givers are not those who have the biggest bank account. Generous givers are the people who have a large view of God. Now you think about that. If you have a small view of God and you limit God, that He can't do this, He can't do this, He can't do that, He won't do this, He won't do that, then chances are you're going to give a small amount because you're not going to trust a small God. But God is a big God. And you can trust Him to be generous in a great big way. You see how that works? If you have a small view of God, you're going to have a small view of His faithfulness to reward what you give, and you're going to give a small amount. You've got a big view of God, you're going to trust Him to give you blessings that He promises. It's all in proportion to our generosity and what we give to Him. Then the second thing to notice is this, is that when we give generously, we do so because we truly believe that God will reward us in one way or another. There are great blessings that come from tithing. And those of you who who have practiced tithing for so many years, you know that. It's just amazing what God will do. Now, part of what He does is He changes us to help us understanding in our mind thought, what are our wants and what are our needs? And when you do that and you start prioritizing your spending and giving of your money, you begin to get your finances in order. And that's a great blessing right there. So many people have have debt that's just crippling them. We offer financial peace if you'll take advantage of it. And you can get out of debt. We've had testimony from people who've been $40,000, $50,000 in debt. And they've gotten out of it by the principles in financial peace. See, when we give generously, we do so because we believe that God will reward us. And one of the ways He does is by helping us get our life in order with the priorities. The text says, give and it will be given to you. Not might or could or maybe, but it will be given to you. The problem we have is in our expectations of the blessings. If you look in um, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's talking about giving generously and and, and who, who sows sparingly will reap sparingly in that. He also talks about the harvest of righteousness. And sometimes those are the blessings that God gives back to us that we fail to acknowledge. And somebody could ask you, if you've been a tither for 50 years and given all that money through the church, what have you gotten for it? Well, the first thing you can say is, what are the, what are the, uh, the, the, is the harvest of righteousness? You've had a part in supporting the kingdom of God 
And in that period of time, there's no telling how many thousands or millions of people around the world have been blessed by the offering that you gave because they heard the word of Jesus Christ. You see, our problem is that we look oftentimes for our wants rather than our needs for God to give to us generously. And sometimes God's gifts to us are just, I mean, it's just unexplainable what He does with money. Uh, Friday, I had the opportunity to go play golf with four guys in the church. And as we were walking up on the ninth uh, green, uh, J.C. Ballou asked us a question. He said, I got a, I got a question for you. And um, I immediately think, uh, okay, this is a trick question. You know, if you're golfing, you, one of the things you can do to distract the people who are playing with you is ask them questions like this. When you're on your backswing like this, do you breathe in or do you breathe out? And see, that screws up their mind. And that's what they're thinking about the rest of the time. Uh, you know, when you're lining up your putt, do you take it straight back or do you kind of bring it around like this? And, and that? You know, you just ask them questions like that and it gets their mind all off the game of golf. So he asked us a question. If a bat and a ball together cost a dollar and ten cents and the bat cost a dollar more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? Now don't answer. And Rick, don't you tell him because Rick knew the answer to that. Now I just want you to think about that and figure that out, okay? And while you're doing that, let me give you another one. And the example of the way, a story that I think kind of illustrates the way that God just takes things and multiplies them, okay? There was an Arab sheik who died, and he left 17 camels to his wife and one son. And his will decreed that his wife was to receive half of the camels, and his son was to receive one-third of the camels. Well, nobody could figure out how you did that with 17 camels. So a friend said, I tell you what, I'll donate my camel. That makes it 18. We can figure it out, okay? You got 18 camels. The wife was supposed to get half. How many did she get? What? Nine. She got nine. The son was supposed to get what? A third? How many did he get? How many? Six. All right. Nine and six camels make how many? Fifteen. They started out with 17. They ended up with 18. Now, how did that happen? Guess what? The friend who gave voluntarily his camel to make it 18, he went home with three camels. You got it figured out yet how much the ball costs with the bat? How much? How much? 10 cents? That would, okay, that's the logical answer. That's what I gave. Well, you think about it some more. Five cents, that's exactly right. Because the bat together has to be a dollar more than the ball. And it can't be more than a dollar and ten cents. Okay? That's something you might find useful at school tomorrow or work or whatever. The one with the sheet, though, see if you can figure that out. How they went from 17 to 18, had three left over when they couldn't do it with 17. Sometimes God just blesses us that way with money. We can't explain it, but we can accept it, can't we? So how does God bless us? Think about these things. It might be with material gifts or money. It might be with answered prayer. It might be with a deep inner joy that you've been faithful in giving. It might be more opportunities to give. It might be a new revelation of God's power in our lives. Or it might be with amazing miracles that you see God do. 
Or it might be with the peace that passes all understanding. Or it might be the simple blessing of knowing that you have been faithful, generous, and obedient in giving back to God. Now, I heard a pastor say this. He said, I want to give you an insider tip on investment for the coming year. And he qualified it by saying, it's an insider tip because the Holy Spirit lives within me. And he said, here's the insider tip. You be faithful with your giving to God, and God will always bless you. He will always bless you. Example is this, Sir John Templeton, the founder of the Templeton family of mutual funds, was once asked what was the best investment he had ever made. And being a committed Christian, Templeton said, when he started giving 10% of his income to the Lord, that was his best investment. My insider tip to you is, the best investment you can make is to give 10% of your money to God. Give it willingly, give it cheerfully, Give it obediently, give it lovingly, but give to the glory of God. Father, we thank you that you are a good and loving God and that you give to us every good and perfect gift for they come down from above from you, the Father of lights. We thank you for the ultimate gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we find redemption, the forgiveness of sin, salvation, and our eternal life with you. Thank you, Father, for giving us all the resources that you've given to us in life that we can understand how you love us and how you bless us. Thank you, Father, for providing jobs and for providing income. And thank you for providing the giving guidelines so that we will know what you want us to give. You want us to give the tithe, to be faithful and obedient. And then you want us to go beyond that with grace giving. And so I pray that our people here together will accept that challenge from your word and will be faithful and obedient in response to your challenge. And Father, I pray that all in the name of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Amen.